0: right well welcome Nathan to our change cafe which is a grassroots effort to provide the community and anyone who wants access to resources and different perspectives about changing careers and changing what you're doing in your life so that you have the social mobility and the access to different opportunities so I appreciate you being on today
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: Uh, Well, um, uh, if you want to introduce yourself, um, you know, just a brief, uh, you know, your elevator speech about who you are, um, and, uh, you know, we'll go from there.
1: Absolutely, and, you know, as I told you before, you caught me on a good day, good week, good month, because now (laughs) there's actually an ending to my story. Uh, But I'm Nathan Algram. I would consider myself scientist by training, teacher by trade and environmentalist by passion. Um, So I originally got my PhD in neuroscience from Emory University and promptly fled academia, spent a year teaching literally in the forest in California um, with adorable little middle schoolers sitting on tree stumps and all of that. Came to North Carolina to teach for a few years in community college, teach psychology, spent a year running an environmental summer camp. And as of last week, I landed my current job, which is academic community manager at the Good Food Institute.
0: Awesome. Well, one of the things that, uh, in getting to know you as a friend and someone in the community who, who enjoys uh, public service and volunteering and being a part of the civic sphere, that really impressed me is that, you know, how you've been able to access you know, social mobility um, in the sense that you've gone from not just job to job in terms of position, but also from you know different sectors of the economy, from in person to remote, from um, you know education to in the private sector, and you know um, uh, you know over to you know uh, your current role. Um, and you know, I just think that that's really impressive. And you know, there are a lot of people who um, you know, would like to change jobs and would like to change what they're doing in their life right now, especially after COVID. Um, you know, and kinda of like myself, you know, you're always, you know, it's kind of you're stepping into the unknown and um, you know, you you don't know what um what the other side, you know, you leaving your current role, um, your current security, social security, what what it's gonna be like when you step off of that, you know, you know, cliff so to speak. Um so I, I would, you know, again, love to talk with you about, um, you know, how you've how you've done that. And so I guess my first question, you know, for you is, you know, again, that um, that bravery um, in my view of going from, again, not just different roles, but whole different organizations and sectors of the workforce, um, you know. Was it just necessity that that prompted you to do that, Um, just a desire to do something that you're more passionate about, um, or or was it also just um, circumstance?
1: It definitely depends on what you mean by necessity, because my first big change out of grad school very much was a necessity in terms of my just personal and professional satisfaction. And what I've seen time and time again is that I have been much more successful both in trying to attain a change and then executing that change when there was a pull towards something else and not just a push away from where I was. When I was probably in the square middle of my uh, dissertation in grad school, I had a push. I knew I didn't want to be a practicing scientist for the rest of my life. That didn't help at all. Once I finally understood that education was something that I was incredibly passionate about from the stuff I was doing both formally in university classrooms and informally going to like kindergarten classes with a bucket of brains, things you do in neuroscience. Um, (laughs) Once that happened, I had a goal in mind. And that made it much easier both Looking for specific jobs, but also building up the specific skills, both hard and soft skills, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, that would make me a more appealing candidate because I had that goal in mind. And so I could kind of work backwards from that goal. Right.
0: Um, I think that, you know, having again the the background in, in education you know you realize especially when you've gone up to you know the doctoral level that like you did um you know there's this idea that you know the more education you have you know the better off you're going to be economically when you get out into the real world so to speak and you know, you're looking for different job opportunities and so of course you know the more you know if you have a doctorate you know the um there's this general Thought that you know, you know, having, finding a job would be super easy because you've got so many years of schooling and training, and you'd be very attractive to, you know, any employer. But uh, I think the reality is, you know, and when I was considering doing a doctorate um, after finishing a master's in history and international relations, um, you know, the professors pretty much told us, you know, uh, our cohort that, you know, unless you want to work as a academic professor in academia, you know, or research, you know, if you're lucky. Um, you know you are, are limited um, to what you can do in the modern economy um, and so uh, you know may I ask um, when you realize that academia you know really wasn't for you um, and yet you continue to push through to finish your uh, doctorate and obtain your PhD and you know what um, you know some people would say just once you realize that you know I've seen people leave the next day once they have that you know epiphany um and but you pushed through and did it and you know what was what was your what were your job prospects if i might ask um you know after that you know right after that
1: well first i gotta say it's not like pushing through was an easy choice i had a meeting with my advisor and my hand was literally on the door before he brought me back and so it it is a cost-benefit analysis, and I still don't know if I made the right choice. Right away, I took a demotion after graduating. And here, giant asterisk for everything that I ever say in this context, I was very privileged, both in terms of the fact that I did not have any dependents that I needed to care for financially or otherwise, and I wasn't coming out with a mountain of debt. And so what I was able to do was take that demotion, my actual title, which has since been changed by the company that I worked for, but once I left my PhD program with a doctorate, was intern. I was a naturalist intern and I was working with people straight out of undergrad. But it was exactly what I wanted to do. It was a beautiful job because they housed us, they fed us, And they gave us a modest stipend. I was very comfortable. But again, I didn't really have any responsibilities. So definitely that trajectory is not open to everybody. But it is the unfortunate truth that I have found kind of each time I've changed career tracks. Each time you want to do that, you'll probably have to just stomach a demotion, whether that be in prestige, pay, or sometimes both. Right, right. And I think that, that's something that I always tell people,
0: you know, who are looking to, you know, change careers, especially if they want to do it, you know, you know, almost overnight. You know, is you know, when I moved to Washington D.C. earlier this year, you know, I went back to being a substitute teacher part time, you know, almost every day, really, you know, to make income in the interim. And you know, it does, it is, it can be, you know, if you if you are someone who likes your title, who Again, there's it was on a linear path to, you know, from associate to senior associate to uh, manager and, you know, upward, you know, and, you know, but you realize that it's not for you. And Mm. I think after COVID, the pandemic, a lot of people had a lot of time to think about what they really want to do, what they really feel is their passion, their gift, their calling, you know, how, whatever you want to call it. Um, And they're itching to do it. I know so many people who um, are unhappy in their current position. And their current companies and in the, in the current sector they found themselves in, whether on purpose or not, and you know they they want to change, but they're again afraid to take that step. And you know, you know, what are you going to do when you quit your job? You know, if you don't have something lined up, and you know, a lot of times the answer is um, you know interim work where you're um, kind of back at the beginning of another field, retail or sales, and. Um, you know while you're looking for your career job and you have to bite your tongue and um, take orders or you know help someone in some way in some service that you you know, never thought you would be doing but you know it's a necessity um, but I think that your uh, your you're, um, you're finishing this um, through academia and then going through with in, into a different career path um, and um, education more or less um, in, in different roles um, but not in academia um, you know where you you are um, really were focused on teaching um, is is interesting because you get you got to see uh, you know both you know having been on one side of the desk and you know now you're on the other side um, and could you describe um, you know what it was like um you know, as a teacher, you know, kind of evolving, but evolving into it sounds like more, you know, public education and, you know, um, educating, you know, a community, a whole community as opposed to, you know, K 12 or a traditional setting and, you know, how, what your thought process and journey was there.
1: Well, here's where I'll probably get on one of my many high horses because. <laughs> I am a firm believer that no matter what medium, what location you are actually teaching in, you should be coming from the frame of informal education. For me, it was informal science education, things like museums, things like nature preserves. That was my first job out of school. And even though I went to a traditional community college afterwards, that was the same ethic that I took. Because in today's day and age, People aren't, and any stu- anyone who's ever been a student knows, you don't leave classes like organic chemistry and two days later, you would be able to draw the, you know, chemical equation diagrams or tell you what a carboxyl group does. That's not really the point. The point is to give you critical thinking tools. And that only works if you get people excited and invested in it. And that was basically my goal throughout the entire time. Now, what I wanted to make people excited and invested in changed throughout and that drove my career change more than anything else. It started with just love of nature and then I moved and that was no longer possible. I I wouldn't say I went rogue with my psychology classes, but I kinda did because I changed the curriculum to focus on critical thinking, being able to spot and identify misinformation and disinformation. I spoke to a lot of. What unfortunately is politicized as very liberal. Thought, but is just psychological and biological truths that were not otherwise available to my student body. And so I integrated all of that in real world situations so that it was exciting and engaging and people remembered it. Now I'm basically just doing the same thing with the mission of GFI, which is all about alternative proteins, again through a very environmental lens. Right.
0: You mentioned critical thinking skills and you know soft skills before, and obviously that's a huge part of being not only attractive to a potential employer and in being in the workforce, but also uh, you know just critical to um, you know being uh, you know a, a Someone who's functioning in, in today's world um, but why do you why do you think that um you know if our education system is is teaching a, li- a liberal arts degree You know, we are all encouraged to go get um that's been the advice for decades go get a liberal arts degree a four-year degree and you'll be um your economic opportunities will be you know good for the rest of your life supposedly and it just seems like you know i got a history degree and it was difficult to find a job why do you think that um why is our economic system and our education system, you know, you know, maybe by and large not matching? Do you think?
1: I think there are two primary drivers with that. First is we don't give students the final step of a liberal arts degree, which is how to turn that into a professional story. And I know both you and I uh, went up the ranks of Toastmasters, so we're very committed to the idea of storytelling. And let me be clear, I'm not talking about stretching the truth in any way, but how do you take the intangibles of soft skills in the liberal arts education and turn them into tangible concrete evidence for a potential employer? We don't really give students the tools to do that. So one example from my history, when I wanted to demonstrate my effectiveness as a manager, like how do you say that on a resume? Like I successfully managed, or I made people happy in a workforce. Like there it's hard, but concretely I knew because people came up and told me by the end of the year, three people would have quit if it was not for me managing them. There's something tangible and that's evidence. Basically, those are references without having to talk to references. Now, the other part of that is I think many employers kind of forget what's important with their employees and so they end up being dissatisfied with a lot of employees because it's so easy to be metrics driven when you are looking for employees you want to see someone who is proficient in this computer language you want to see this you want to see someone who brought in x thousands of dollars in their development job but none of that matters if you can't stand being around the person Absolutely. And it, that's really hard to quantify. And the tricky thing with this is that's where bias comes in. And so, you know, it's finding the balance because if you go off of your gut feeling like, can you get along with this person? Well, that's when you get people who will not hire anybody who doesn't look like them. So that's why I think, the I do like blinded hiring procedures. The job I just got was completely blinded until we did a final video interview. So the way to get around that, because our country is the way it is, I do think is learning how to make concrete all of these soft skills, all of these intangibles that you can get from a liberal arts education. Right, right. And I think the
0: important component to critical thinking skills too, you know, especially if you are practicing those in a, you know, in a in a box so to speak in the classroom you know and you know with your you know, having a dialogue with your professor which is great you know with your instructor and in college um, and in grad school and uh, beyond but um, you know is is that practical application and, and having you know bringing what you've what you've learned what you've memorized what you've what you the mantra you the mantras you've come to uh, to 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 know as, as part of um, a process of, of of figuring something out or figuring things out in general, um, you know, is how do I um, how do I take you know like a, those critical thinking skills and you know apply it to applying the job um, and apply it to um, answering questions in an interview and um, you know I don't know that um, you mentioned Toastmasters which is interesting um, you know it, and that's that's an experiential uh, learning. Uh, experience and um, you know that's it's not necessarily required by a college but certainly something that students and, and others can benefit from um, could you talk about your experiential learning over time and how that um, impacted your access to opportunities and making yourself uh, an attractive candidate for employment
1: By experiential learning, are you referring to things like Toastmasters and non-job related? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything outside the classroom. Well, yes, I definitely think, and this is not a plug specifically for Toastmasters, but the training that I got in there and the experience, learning how to craft and then deliver a story, not only made it a lot easier for me to get those ideas across, but gave me the confidence, not just for getting in front of people, but for putting my story on paper and selling myself. Because I, just like I'm sure you and a lot of of listeners will empathize with, imposter syndrome is pretty darn common. And I struggled with that, especially in grad school. I did not feel comfortable calling myself an expert in anything. I did not feel comfortable calling myself (laughs) <laughs> really giving myself any degree of competence if I'm being honest, because I knew there was always someone better. But the idea of crafting a story is that doesn't really matter. What are you good at? How, what can you bring to the field? And so I definitely think that's that's one of them. Now, other things I did, for instance, in my uh, grad school career, like I mentioned briefly, I went to a bunch of K-8 through schools and I flexed my informal science muscles. And having an audience like that is amazing because they will tell you if they don't care. care. There is not a kindergartner in the world who I think can pretend to be interested if they are bored. And the honest answer, like with science, you don't really change the message that much with kindergartners and adults. And I'm not saying that to insult adults, But my knowledge was so specialized, like, people will not have learned it anywhere else. And so you don't change it very much. You might get different questions. Sometimes the kindergartners have better questions because they're more fun. But having an audience like that for what I wanted to do was perfect because it was not filtered. They wouldn't automatically come up at the end. It's like, oh, that was great. If they hated it, they would just wander away. Right, right. And so... (laughs) However you can get that sort of honest feedback, whether it be from kindergartners or maybe just a slightly acerbic coworker is really (laughs) critical, especially when you're trying to build up those skills. I pass by a
0: billboard often on the interstate that says, I'm looking for the perfect candidate. You've missed the perfect employee. And you mentioned, uh, our country and the way it stands now, and you know the modern workforce and how it's biased against a lot of a lot of job seekers and people who aren't, um, you know, in, in my view, coming from you know more privileged backgrounds and who understand all the social uh, social norms and you know follow the check all the boxes um, that HR wants. And um, I'm sure it's a loaded question, but uh, what what would you say are the biggest uh, Roadblocks to socioecon- socioeconomic equity um, in terms of again when people are applying for jobs and seeking that opportunity they are um, they are aspiring
1: toward. I would say more than anything, time. That was the biggest privilege that I had. I was unemployed for four months, and I had the privilege of not having to look for jobs outside my field just to make the ends meet. I had built up savings. I had a partner who have a partner who was financially stable. And so I could basically be full time looking for a job, working on my professional resume, getting other skills, taking online courses. Because yes, it looks like I'm successful in my career change, but in this job hunt alone, I applied to more than 65 jobs. I got two interviews and one job offer over four months. If I did not have that time and by extension, the the financial resources, I would have had to start working somewhere else that was completely out of my field. And I would not have had the time to probably apply for and succeed in the hiring process of the job I currently have.
0: And that's that's just such a again if you if you have the time you just you don't even think about it it's a bit of privilege that you just take for granted the hours in the day that are where you can clearly think about thoughts that aren't you know getting food on your table you know or necessity this it's that Maslow's pyramid I'm you know I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir as a as a um, talking to a former psychology professor and with a um, PhD in neuroscience, but, you know, that higher thinking of creating thoughts and brainstorming things that are abstract of what would I want to do. And, um, you know, I, I'll say as an aside, very quickly, you know, when I ran for office, I did notice, you know, the, the, the doors I knocked on and, you know, upper-income neighborhoods were the ones that opened the most and people had the most thoughts about politics because they had a school and an education because they had the time to think about it. think part of um, again what I uh, you know hope this series will help people um, with is you know leaving your job strategically and um, your current role and you know thinking brainstorming ways of um, having you know some sort of interim plan as you look for your long-term career. Um, and while you were looking for yours, um, I know you said. Um, you had other means, but um, you know, in, even in the past when you've changed careers, were there, um, were there things that you did you know, in between um, jobs that um, tips and resources, or tricks that you found helpful?
1: Well, I would say the first thing, uh, kind of for the whole time reason. My advice is as soon as you realize that you do not want to retire slash die in the job you currently have, start looking. You don't have to be dissatisfied with your job to start looking for a job. One, it's practice. It keeps your resume sharp. It keeps your interview skills up. If you get an interview, unlike me, and you find what the credentials are in whatever field you you have. Because if it's five, 10 years down the road, Well, that might be a solid year of self-study to get the credentials up to where they need to be, as opposed to a little bit along the way. And then if you apply to one job per week over the course of a year, that's almost as many jobs as I applied to in three months. And that can be incredibly useful because then if you get a job offer, you have the financial stability to say no in whatever job you currently have. But if it's better, Hey, why not make that change? Now, the other things that really helped me, um, and this is something that I learned in my previous role, is to never stop building your network. And this was really hard for me because I hate the feeling of transactional relationships. Right. Of like, I'm just getting to know you because I want something out of you. But it doesn't have to be that. Because I am terrible with names and memory of personal events, I legitimately have been building a spreadsheet for all of my new coworkers, because I want to remember like, oh, this person's dog is named this. This person has two kids (laughs) they live in Seattle, whatever. And you can, so like you have that network, but also you wanna be able to have that professional network of, you know that you can count on this coworker A for a great reference on your management style co-worker b about your data analysis co-worker c about your conflict resolution and you keep those relationships up because then you can call on them for whatever and also they can be the ones to give you the connections to your next job because even if you all work in the same department they all have relationships outside of work maybe it's their partner maybe it's their basketball teammate at the Y but they those can be those feet in the door that otherwise you wouldn't be able to have especially if you're siloed in your current job right and uh along with social mobility again being have being able to have
0: those intangible tools and you know resources of different kind including human resources you know we've um talked about social capital on this audio series and, uh, you know, you just mentioned connections and, you know, we all know anyone who's applied for a job or been in looking for a job in, in the last, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure it, it really probably goes on for um, ages, you know, talking about connections and I got that, you'll hear so many people say, I got that job because I knew someone on the inside and HR flagged my um, job application and there was, an, you know, excess of candidates. You know, there's an excess of labor right now, um, for, especially for, you know, white collar and um, certain certain jobs that require, you know, an advanced degree, again, because we all were told to go get degrees. And so um, because you've changed job fields so many times, um, you know, the networks, your networks have changed a bit. And um, could you speak to, you know, how, again, you mentioned a little bit, you um, but, uh, you know, how you've leveraged, um, I know that's maybe a word you don't like to think about, but leveraged, um, you know, going to different job fields and, and still getting connected in those fields and um, being successful at that, especially as someone who might be more introverted.
1: Here's where people can learn from my failure, uh, because I think a lot of the reason why it took me 65 applications is because I did not have any network that could connect me. Each time I switched, it was honestly, it felt like my employer taking a chance on me because I had a very atypical background, not that I was underqualified. In many cases, I frankly believe that I was overqualified, but I didn't check the same boxes and what i actually didn't know until about three quarters of the way through this last job hunt was i I learned this from my stepdad that many companies especially the larger companies are legally prevented from providing feedback on your application because that puts them at risk of litigation for bias right sure i didn't know that but what that means is and my new strategy if i ever have to do this again is Pick a company that's in your field that has a job posted that you want. Call it a wash. Don't apply. Most HR departments have a phone number. Call them. Ask what would make you a good employee. What would make you attractive in the field? And you might not, depending on the company and how how they work, you might not be able to apply or they'd automatically throw it in the trash if they give you any sort of advice like that but then you can actually learn if you don't have that personal connection of like and now you're on the top of the pile they can tell you what would make you stand out is it as silly as well they use automated resume software and so you need to use these five keywords Is it they really, really like this one credential and you can do that in a weekend? Is it they want to see evidence of volunteering with a certain cause that the chief executive is really passionate about? I mean, sometimes it it really is these like incredibly hidden things because all the resume needs to do is get you an interview. It doesn't need to get you the job. That's what the interview is for. That was where I fell flat and I think, taking that strategy is that foot in the door for many people, myself included, I'm sure many of your listeners included, who don't have that personal connection that makes the recruiter pay attention to your resume.
0: Right. And so many companies now use recruiters um, and recruitment agencies to find applicants because, again, there's, there's such an excess of uh, labor and you know people looking for jobs and um, they have to be strategic um, in how they they find uh, candidates um, and so it's about knowing knowing that and um, you know I think that uh, you know in a lot of part a lot of times when I've to find a job you know it's just like you said been just having the um, a little bit of bravery and um, you know. Uh, resilience and just knocking on HR's door, or you know, figuring out the nomenclature of a, uh, of an email of a higher up executive. And in the case of my last, my current job, and just emailing them and saying you're passionate about it and you're about the, about the company and you'd love to work there. And then all of a sudden, a couple hours later, you find out they've sent your resume to HR. And so um, just doing those extra steps. Um, and as um, one of my other questions. Um, uh, I would love to hear about, um, you know, you um, are really, one of the things I really admire about you, one of the many things, I you know, is your love for your students. Um, and I know that you really had a heart for working with, um, you know, students who, you know, need a little extra help. And so what would you say, especially working with students at the tertiary level um, in community college? Um, you know, so many people think of community college as, an economic on ramp um, to get into get onto the economy get into the economy, um, you know what were what were just some general things that you know you would say people, especially underprivileged students, missed um, in terms of you know when they
1: were in, in in community college, as opposed to being in a residential four year. You're saying? Uh, I, I suppose just opportunities missed in general,
0: but yes, four year as well. Um, you know, like when they were in community college, where they're whether things like the career center or, um, you know, well, you know, internship opportunities that they may have not known about because no one told them about it, um, you know, in, in working with students, um, you know, what's something that, you know, a student may, um, if they knew about, um, would really benefit from long term?
1: I think it really depends on what the goal is because... <laughs> If I could do my life over again, I'm fairly certain I wouldn't do a PhD, at least in neuroscience. And I honestly might not have gone to a four year university. I'm sure a lot of people are already aware of the fact that a licensed electrician or plumber can make a lot more money than a lot of people with master's degrees, especially in uh, humanities or liberal arts. And that's who a lot of my students were. They were going to be welders and they were going to make very good money. So in terms of economic stability, in terms of social mobility, going to a community college, especially if it includes technical associates, degrees and apprenticeships can sometimes be the best of all possible scenarios because you'll graduate with a lot less debt you won't. And if you want to change careers later, well, you will have had a good paying job for many years, then you can go to a four year university if that is in your life plan. Right now I say all of that with the caveat of, there is something to be said for completely changing your environment. I am a different person because I left suburban Chicago and went to UNC Chapel Hill, my community there, especially because I um, started school in a living learning community that was very intentional. It completely changed my perspective on the world. And that's something that can be unique before universities, but not all, because there are many universities. If you grew up in a college town and then you go to that college, if you have a, I mean, frankly, this is most common in specific religious institutions, but if you grew up in a specific church and go to a school that is founded by that church, that's not really a change in your environment. And it, that kind of takes away that, that unique experience of a four-year university. But one, I know that's not attractive to everybody. And two, that's not in the cards for a lot of people. So I honestly would say to, if social mobility, plain and simple is your goal, community college can be the best of all possible worlds. Right?
0: And it's just, I think, the flexibility, too, uh, especially if you're working currently and, you know, if you're, if you're commuting um, and, and the, the number of technical courses, um, the variety of, of certificates you can uh, work to obtain and not just, um, you know, on the path to a liberal arts degree. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, community colleges really are, again, the... Um, as the former UNC Chancellor um, said, uh, are selling on ramp and off ramp um,
1: to the economy when you need to find something else. Well, and (laughs) if you wanna go into academia, it's true that where you got your degree matters because I can say this as being one of them, academicians are snobs and (laughs) graduating from an IV will get you in the door, graduating from a small school Will not. Right. But honestly, anything else, even if you want to go into tech, at this point, a certificate of a coding boot camp is going to be worth just as much as a degree from Harvard. But if you are in a trade, if you are in any other sort of white collar job where those (laughs) tangible credentials are possible, it doesn't matter where you went to school. And again, just sheer economics of it and flexibility, especially now that so many courses are taught online, do you really wanna pay $50,000 to go to MIT online? Or would you rather pay $2,000 to go to your local community college?
0: Right, again, your cost benefit analysis.
1: um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I think
0: one of the last things um, I'd like to talk about is your current role is remote um, and, you know your opportunity and um, public education as relates to um, a specific mission of a of a of a scientific company Um, agribusiness is is that the term for it Um, or an agri company Um, would you call it that i know it's about it's about food
1: science yeah mostly Um, i mean we we are a think tank and so we try and facilitate both science and policy um, with alternative proteins but yeah it is about the the production in all realms of that from science to crop to food science right and so something like that you know actually moving to
0: Washington DC there are so many think tanks about a variety of topics and even in the remote um, working world post-COVID I still have when I was applying for jobs myself, there were so many roles that again, and even if they were par- partially remote, you know, the employer would ask. That was the first question: Do you live in the Washington D.C. metro area? And I think that causes a lot of people who, through no fault of their own, you know, were just born and raised and grew up in, um, you know, Appalachia or in, a, in, in you know, what what you would call almost. Um, the economic hinterlands of the U.S. outside of a a metropolis um, of a job mecca, you know, uh, don't have access to that, you know, and how to, um, I wonder how, um, what you might, what your thoughts are on this topic as, you know, you currently live in Hickory, North Carolina, um, which is a small, uh, more manufacturing-based town, and you work in a very, um, as you said, Uh, a a job that definitely requires a four-year degree and um and a and a a company that um would not otherwise um be located in hickory most likely
1: sorry what was the question in
0: there uh yeah so i know i i was kind of given a little soliloquy. um I, i just you know what your thoughts are on um again the economic almost privilege of, of people who you know happen to live in a big job center metropolitan area versus not and how um, you came to navigate the you know not living in, you know living in a smaller town and still finding out a, um, uh, a niche job if you will um, that you're passionate about how did you get there
1: right <laughs> This, of course, assumes that you are looking for a job that is remote compatible, because there are many that you just can't. I live with a dentist. Can't really do that remotely very well, at least until the robots take over. But it was challenging because I experienced a lot of what you said, where the job was officially listed as remote, and it really seemed like they gave preference to people who were close to headquarters. Now, here's where I give a plea that if anyone listening is or ever will be hiring. Don't be like that. There are so many (laughs) jobs that are remote compatible, whether or not it is currently listed as such. My the job that I wanted to do was remote compatible and. I had the blessing of having a plethora of options. I had the curse of now I have to compete with the rest of the country, sometimes the rest of the world. And that's the big challenge that I found, is your pool of potential jobs vastly increases, especially in a mid slash post COVID world. But then the pool of competitors increases as well. So in terms of the geographical privilege, for lack of a better term, Yeah, because it's always going to be that way until we have a a paradigm shift, which feels like it might be happening. I am very excited to currently be working in a remote first institution. They were remote before the pandemic. They know what they're doing and they value that part of their workforce. I know many are kind of going kicking and screaming into a remote workforce and still trying to claw people back to the office. Right. A lot of this, unfortunately, does have to come from the top, because people need jobs. And if the only jobs exist in metropolitan areas, people are going to have to move there. And as you said at the very beginning, the people who were raised there will have those in-person networks and always have a leg up. I sincerely hope that doesn't stay that way, because there, frankly, is no need, especially as broadband is finally penetrating into those economic hinterlands that you talked about. Right. Would you say,
0: and I don't know that there's really a good answer, precise answer for this. Um, because Everyone's story is different. And if there was someone out there who was listening, who was, you know, applying for jobs, maybe they work in retail or or in sales or just in a in a completely different job sector, and they're applying, applying, and doing everything they can. And um, you know, they, they they have maybe a few connections, and. Um, you know, they, uh, you know, they, they volunteered, you know, and done internships, and um, they're doing everything they can to put their leg in like their foot in the door. Um, what would, when would you say, um, just to, to try something else, you know, or maybe even to like, you talking about geography, maybe to move to a different town and to try, um, is, there, is there a point where um, you have to say, you know, I, I just am not um, I'm throwing darts against the wall, and it's just not going to happen. And I have to think of something else. Or, um, is, do you think that there is a, a point that you can a point that you can point to?
1: I would say yes, temporarily. Mm-mm. And I was getting pretty darn close to that point. <laughs> if I did not get this job, I, w- I would have reconsidered and just taken anything. Frankly, that's just how my brain works. But the previous job that I had, when I was program director for a summer camp. I really believed in their mission. That was the primary reason I took the role, but it's never what I wanted to do. I knew it was a short term thing. The reason I took that job is because I had previously gotten feedback about two years ago now, that the reason I would not get jobs in my current field is I didn't have program direction and managerial experience. I had great scientific knowledge. I had great systems thinking and to demonstrate it, but that was lacking. And so I took a job basically as a stepping stone. And so my advice for people in the situation you outlined would be if you're throwing darts against the wall and the wall moved and you can't even hit the wall, get get one of those pieces of feedback. Like I said, a company you'd love to work for, you just call it Wash. You call them up like, what's missing? Hope. Eventually you'll get someone who's willing to sit down with you. Take them out to coffee, whatever that might look like. And once you actually see what those gaps are, what you need to do before you are that star resume, because I know a lot of people can't take a year to do a boot camp, a sabbatical, whatever, get a job that you know you don't want to do forever, but will get you that tangible experience that will show up on your resume and get you that interview. Because that's how you can, and you will be building skills along the way. So whenever you walk into the thing that will make you personally and professionally satisfied, you'll be ready to actually be good at it and excel in it. And hopefully, eventually hire people like you to help it along the way. Right, so take a take a, a
0: part-time or a,
1: a volunteer or that that kind of internship kind of experience is that what you're saying. Um, i would even even say a regular job but one that will just allow you to flex the skills that your ideal employers are looking for because i know i am frankly in the position where i could have taken an unpaid job part-time job internship but that's both hard for the vast majority of people economically if not impossible and it's also just hard on your pride for me, you know, I I left PhD. I was an intern. I was a teacher, and then I'm like, what What am I doing? I feel like I've gone backwards. And so I'm not going to say I was immune to that. I was like, I deserve better at this point. Is that fair to say? Probably not. But you worked for it, you know. You now I think that's the thing. You worked for that,
0: for that to be able no, to do do something that you're passionate about.
1: Yeah, and for everyone listening, like, yeah, it sucks when you know you are right for a job and no one else believes you. And so having that stepping stone, that is that path along the way. I never did a vision board. I just always kind of had one in my head. Like I was getting closer to the summit by taking that break. And I think respite and uh, having a gap, you
0: know, however long the time length is, is, is good to do as well, you know, when you're um, burnout in one one career, one job, um, and then to go to another, where um, did you ever take a, a, a time of respite um, between jobs and um, what would your recommendation be as far as, I know a lot of people are concerned, you know, if I take a gap, you know, employers will notice and, um, you know, they, they won't like that.
1: Yeah, I never did on purpose. <laughs> I was employed, <laughs> but that was not the goal. And that's kind of why I suggest to have those stepping stone jobs. The way that yeah. I do is, I don't really succeed when I don't have a direction professionally. So sabbaticals may work very well for some people, but especially if you have been hitting your head against the wall, where if you have this professional motivation, but it has not been coming to fruition. A lot of times taking that respite will be counterproductive, both in my personal experience and what I've seen in other people. Instead, you want to be building that. And as I have seen time and time again, even if it's a job you know you don't want to do long term, if you know you are growing in that job towards what you want to be doing, it is so much easier to show up every day because you don't feel stuck. And like I said, day one, when you start that stepping stone job, keep an eye out, stay on, right. stay on job boards, take a look on LinkedIn, apply in your first week.
0: Will and you document, do document everything, write down everything that you've done for me exactly. at least, yeah,
1: yeah. And apply on a weekly basis. Will you get the interviews the first couple times? Absolutely not, because people will be like, You just started a job. Why would I give you another job? You Mm -hmm. could leave it off if you wanted to. But (laughs) then you, again, it doesn't have to be forever. And you're getting those skills, and that's what keeps me motivated, at least. Right. Um, And then um, I promise, last thing
0: Um, bosses. That's you know your relationship with your supervisor. That's obviously a make or a break for a, a job. And I know we've both talked about um, you know past supervisors we've had who make who made or break made or break uh, broke a job. There's past tense there. Um, and what would you say to anyone who um, is listening who might um, be considering a job change, a career change, and um, you know they have. Um, they're not really sure, you know, when they interview for a new position, um, you know, how to, what kind of questions do you ask a potential supervisor to know, you know, whether they um, would be someone you can work with? Because there's always that question when you interview, like, what would you like to ask us, the hiring manager, you know, about the company? And um, are there any good uh, litmus tests that you can, um, you can look for, I suppose, or, you know, Posed to a potential employer um, so that you know that you are likely to have a good relationship.
1: I'm going to give a semi cop out answer and okay. there are plenty of lists on the Internet that can give suggestions for that, both in terms of like. What is the project that that I could enter in day one and really make an impact on or asking about their managerial style? but i think if you are looking for a career type job where you might stay there forever you if and you get to the end stage you are interviewing them as much as they are interviewing you so do the same thing that they do in the last step go to the references your boss your future boss should be more than willing to connect you with someone that reports to them currently and have an informational interview, an informal chat with that person or multiple people. What kind of boss is this? Just like they will be using your references, the only way to know is to talk to someone who's worked with them before. Right. And if your boss is not, your potential boss is not willing to do that, that's probably a red flag. And you can use that as information too. I was able to do that before I landed this job, and I am so fortunate that both the reports I got back from the people I talked to and the reality on the ground, at least for the first little bit is I have a very human boss, both in terms of how she runs herself and her team. And that honestly is unfortunately rare, but such a blessing. And that's what you should be looking for when you are talking, ask- talking and asking about your potential boss
0: well, I, I really appreciate you sharing your story and um, your bits of wisdom uh, with me um, in the past and now um, with others. And, um, again, I, uh, my co-organizer, Javar, and I had this idea because we were both changing careers in this past year and um, found it to be difficult and, you know, wanted to help others who, um, you know, want to have a conversation about,